0: You're listening to episode 16 of the Journey to Launch podcast. How Naseema paid off $300,000 in debt in two years as a single mom. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who
1: walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in in five, four, three, two,
0: one. Hey, 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 guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Journey to Launch podcast. We are on episode 16. So this episode, I'm excited because I'm talking to Nasima. Of financially intentional. and I love talking to people who have reached the promised land, as I like to say. So you listen to the last episode, episode 15 and a couple of my other guests, the people who have already reached financial freedom per se, they are retired and their investments, their passive income basically takes care of their main expenses. But I also like to talk to people who are still on their journey, who are in the trenches who are paying off debt, who are figuring out their own way. And Asima, I consider to be one of those people because she is on a journey to become debt-free. She has paid over $300,000 in debt in two years. And so I know you guys are wondering, how is that possible? And we're gonna get into all that in her episode and what she talks about. So I can't wait for you to hear it. And if you want the show notes for this episode, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 16, you'll be able to get the links to anything we discuss. And as I always say, if you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe on whatever it is that you listen to. So whether you listen to it in YouTube or on Stitcher or TuneIn or Apple Podcasts, subscribe. And if you listen in Apple Podcasting app, please rate, review, and subscribe. Those reviews really matter. I'll be reading a review at the end of this episode. So if you left me a review, stay tuned. Maybe you'll hear your review read on the episode. And if you haven't left your review yet, what are you waiting for? Please go over and review the podcast and rate it on iTunes. Also, some more housekeeping. If you are listening to this in real time, so if you're listening to this on the Wednesday that it releases, I'm on my way to FinCon, which I'm so excited to go to. And so if you follow me on social media, you'll probably see some posts and some updates from me at FinCon this week. FinCon is the Wednesday, so from the 25th to the 28th of October. So again, if you follow me on social media, you'll see some updates maybe. And if you don't follow me, follow me. I'm at Journey to Launch on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And if you're in my Facebook group, you'll even get more updates because I get a little bit more personal in there. And so if you wanna join the Facebook group, go to journeytolaunch.com slash community. I also have some really, really exciting things that I'm working on that I'm trying to keep a little lid on for now, but I can't wait to share it with you guys. The things I'm doing, I hope will really elevate my brand and get more people to know about it and so i'm really excited when i'm able to share that with you guys and just wanted to mention a couple things so if you didn't know i'm a money coach <laughs> and i am accepting new clients so if you think you would learn a lot from me if you want to improve your finances if you want to see how i can help you on your journey to reach your own goals go to journey to launch .com/coaching. So this is my first time actually mentioning my coaching services on the podcast because I've been so busy lately with content and the podcast and clients that I didn't want to really put it out there, but I do have openings that will be coming up in November and December. So, you know, what, I'm putting it out there and I'm accepting clients. So, if you're interested, please check out journeytolaunch.com/coaching. I'd love to help you reach your goals. Also, for my beginner and intermediate journeyers, so maybe you're not ready for the coaching just yet, maybe you wanna try something on your own, you need to get organized with your finances and with your goals, I recommend you pick up the manual. So the Wealth Building Manual is for sale. You can go to journeytolaunch.com slash manual to pick up your copy. You know, I'm really trying to come out with great resources for you guys to use and I really think that, these things will help you. So whether you choose to just listen to the podcast, to become a coaching client, or pick up the manual, I think any one of those things, depending on where you wanna be and your dedication to reaching your goals, you're gonna be able to do it. So just stick with me on this journey, and thanks again for joining me. Now let's jump into this episode with Nasima. I am so excited to have Nasima from Financially Intentional com on the podcast nasima if you don't know if you don't follow her already just has an amazing story she has an amazing spirit and i wanted to bring her on to talk about her journey her journey to paying off hundreds of thousand dollars in debt her journey as a single mom who went through divorce how she handles all the things that come with life and money and raising a child I just want to welcome Naseema to the podcast. And Naseema, jump in and tell us more about yourself. You did such an amazing job introducing
1: me, but I'm Naseema of financiallyintentional.com. I'm a registered nurse, a labor and delivery nurse by profession. And I guess my claim to fame is that I've paid off over $300,000 in under two years. And so that's what most people know me by. I'm also a single mom. I've went through a divorce through my journey. And so, you know, I've had a lot of struggles along the way. So it hasn't been just, As straightforward and easy as people think, I've made it through.
0: So can you tell me just a little bit about yourself, your background? Mm -hmm. What got you to where you are today? Why you started Financially Intentional? Who is Nasima? (laughs) And just a general background.
1: Sure. So that's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I've been through a lot. Basically, nursing is my second career. I've had a lot of education, therefore, I came out of nursing school with my master's in nursing in 2012 with over $200,000 in student loan debt. So, I'm originally from Oakland, California. I went to USC and Southern California for graduate school and for undergraduate school. So, just like Cassandra, we're both from Oakland. We, just, we both went to SC. We're both Trojans. <laughs> so, I went there for undergrad and for grad school. And then I started off in healthcare administration. I have a master's in healthcare administration. I was doing an administration for about five years, really didn't like the bureaucratic structure of administration, and just basically quit my job in 2007. At that time, though, in 2007, I was 25 years old, or turning 26. I had five houses. It was the beginning of the recession, and I kind of just quit my job because I was fed up, and I knew that that's not what I was going to do.
0: Wait, 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 wait. Can I interject? You said you had five houses? Yeah. So you were investing in real estate at that point or? Yeah.
1: So I started investing when I started grad school.
0: Oh, wow. I thought you knew that. Well, just in case the listeners don't know that, because I mean, it's pretty impressive that you owned five houses, so you probably get into it. But what happened with that real estate?
1: Well, it's not impressive like you think it is. (laughs) I thought that the quickest way to build wealth was to be a property owner. But I didn't do it the right way. I leveraged a lot of debt. And at that time, it was during the recession. So I had my condo. um, I had another duplex in L.A. I had two townhouses in North Carolina and then a house in Atlanta. So I was highly, highly leveraged in debt. And people weren't paying their rent. I was having problems with construction companies. And so it got to a point where, like I said, I quit my job. I didn't have all that extra income. I was in financial straits. It was times where I was taking out payday loans to make it.
0: Can we back up a little bit? Because this is fascinating to me. (laughs) Uh How did you end up buying all these houses at such a young age?
1: I don't know if you know Patrice Washington. (laughs) Yes, yes. She's one of my good friends. Part of her story was by the time she was in her 20s, she was a millionaire because she had a real estate company. So I'm part of that real estate company. They help people do a lot of investing in real estate across the country. And I participated in that. So I was like, okay you know, I want to build up my portfolio. So I'll do it by buying houses. My first house I bought, that's the house that I lived in. And then subsequently, you know, I just bought these investment properties a couple every year until I had fives. On the outside, it looked like I was a millionaire as far as assets at 25. But really, I was really broke. Okay. (laughs) So that's how that happened. But it was a struggle. It was a struggle. I wasn't making that much money. I think at that time I was probably making like $50,000 a year, but I was still floating thousands and thousands of dollars in mortgages what people weren't paying. It's not so impressive looking back on it, you know, but back then like, a lot of people were impressed by it. But I wasn't impressed. because I knew how much I was struggling.
0: You knew the behind the scenes of it all. Yeah. Were you putting down the smallest amount in equity and just taking out loans oh for the rest?
1: Oh, remember back in those days, they were doing those 0% down loans. It was like totally, now I can't even think of what they were called.
0: Like zero down and probably Mm -hmm. no loan docs?
1: Yeah, like anybody could qualify for a loan. You know, they weren't really looking at docs. And like I said, it was kind of shady business back in the day.
0: You know what? It's funny you say that because when I talk about me buying my first property, my condo in Dumbo, Brooklyn, The only reason I was able to buy that is because at the time it was the height of the real estate market and they didn't check my income because if they would have checked my income, they would have saw that I could not really afford it on paper. Right. My check was literally the whole mortgage. And so that's how I got into real estate, how I was able to buy it. And it worked out for me because eventually my income grew and I was able to cover it and I moved out and now it's getting rented out. But I can totally understand how you can get caught up in that.
1: Right. So the term I was looking for was the subprime mortgages. That was the height of the subprime mortgages. My first mortgage, I put like 3% or 5% down. That was it. And then after that, either I put zero, nothing down. I just paid all the fees. So that's how that happened. And so obviously I was like leveraged up to my eyeballs in debt. That's all I had. I didn't really have a lot of assets. I just had a lot of debt, but I'm 25 years old. What did I know? But also it was a blessing because I was 25 years old and I still had time to recover from that. After I quit my job, I moved to Texas just to get out of California for a little while. Ended up not working and going to take my prereqs for a nursing school because so I was like, okay, I just want to be a nurse. So I can have autonomy. I can have a job that has a lot of autonomy. I can travel the world, take travel nursing assignments around the world. I don't have to deal with all the bureaucrats of healthcare, but I can still be impactful in healthcare. But at the time I had to make the tough decision that I had to let those houses go. So ended up in 2008 having two foreclosures, two short sales, but I still had my initial condo in Englewood. And then I got into nursing school in 2008. So nursing school, I did an intensive one-year nursing program and became an RN. And then I went back to get my master's in nursing. And like I said, I came out in 2012 with over $200,000 in student loan debt. But most of that was from just the nursing school portion because that nursing school was a self-funded program and all by itself it was like $80,000. So that's where a lot of that debt came from.
0: So by the time you graduated, you had $200,000 in debt, but then you had your master's in nursing. Mm-hmm. You only had that one condo.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was in LA and I'm living in the Bay Area. So I was renting that out and still had my place in the Bay Area. So moved around a lot, worked. I was making really, really good money. Not really tripping, not really thinking I had a lot of debt because I would buy a car and then I'll just pay it off in two years, and that's what I consider debt. I figure two hundred thousand dollars in student loans—that's always going to be around. I never tripped off of it. I just made sure I made my minimum payments, and then eventually I got in the public service loan forgiveness program, and I was like, okay, well that's going to be the way out. So. The way that the public student loan forgiveness program works is that you're put on a 10 year repayment schedule where you have to pick an income based repayment plan and you make those monthly payments. You make 120 consecutive monthly payments. And at the end of that, 10 years or 120 payments, your loan is forgiven. So I was like, okay, I'm just in this for 10 years. But mind you, my payments weren't low because my income is considered a little high. Mm -hmm. My payments were like $2,000 a month just for my student loans. Okay. And then at the time I got pregnant and then of course in my pregnant brain, I decided to buy a house and I kind of moved into the suburbs. And so I was looking at the houses that I could afford in Oakland versus what I can afford out here. And of course the same house I can buy, like a little shack in Oakland. I could buy a bigger house in the suburbs. And of course I bought the biggest house. I was pregnant.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And of course the baby needed like five rooms. Okay. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. And six (laughs) bathrooms. Why not? So I
1: moved out here and now I have this big mortgage. I have this big student loan payment. And basically, you know, I was making good money. I've always had like two jobs, but I was broke. At the end of the month, I did not have enough money. And it actually got to a point where I actually had to borrow some money to make ends meet from my sister. And so at that point, I hate asking anybody for help and I hate borrowing from people. So I was just like, you know what? This is just ridiculous. I make way too much money to be this broke. And so I was like, something has to change. And so I already came to the conclusion that I was going to sell my condo in Inglewood. And I knew that I would get about $100,000 profit off of that. So I was just like, you know what? To not be broke, I need to build up my savings. I need to have substantial savings and then I need to invest the rest. And so I started researching how to invest. I need to learn more about investing. But because I've been in school my whole damn life, I hadn't like really gotten into it. So I wasn't comfortable investing until I felt like I had a better understanding of it. So I was like, okay, this is my time where I'm gonna really dive in and try to understand investing and researching and investing products. And just like you, I have a really long commute to work. So I was like, okay, what podcast can I listen to on the way to work that's gonna talk about investing? And so I stumbled upon the Dave Ramsey podcast. Now I had heard about Dave Ramsey in the past, but I didn't really, really know what his philosophy was about. So I started listening to the Dave Ramsey podcast and I was just like, wow, like this is ridiculous. Who pays off their house? Why is that even a goal? That just doesn't even make sense. You know, he's just like this conservative white guy from the country. He doesn't know anything about the struggles that I'm going through. He doesn't know nothing about this $200,000 in student loan debt. He's sitting up here telling people to pay off a student loan debt. That just sounds stupid. I bet you he don't know nobody that has student loan debt like me. Until I just really started listening to the show and started listening to Death debt-free screens. And i was just like, just hitting f- how many people were paying off massive amounts of debt and they made so much less money than me. And I was just like, listen, there is no reason why I can't do this myself. And so right when I started getting heavy off into it and start being like, okay, I can do this is around the time where me and my orphan at the time started talking about marriage and stuff. So. I kind of brought him on board with me at that time, but I was doing things separate. So I started in April 2015 to really start attacking my dad. And so that's kind of where that journey started.
0: Okay. So you realized at the point where you found Dave Ramsey that you needed to get your finances in order, but you were, you're were saying you're dating at that point with your former husband, mm-hmm. you weren't married yeah. yet. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then what happened? So after you decided that, all right, I need to change my lifestyle because while I am making a lot of money, I have a lot of debt. What happened next? What propelled you to really make that change?
1: I was just hella broke. I didn't even have $100 in my savings account. And so I'm the kind of person that once I put my mind to something, I do it and I kind of go hard. So I just followed the plan. I listed all my debts from smallest to largest, really, really got my budget together. What really, really changed the game for me was zero based budgeting, where you give every dollar of your money an assignment and you do it in advance. So you create a monthly budget and every dollar that comes in, you give that dollar an assignment and you know where your money is going. That made the biggest difference to me as far as how to attack my debt. And so before I knew it, I was trying to find every extra dollar. Like it was a point where Fed Loan Services was like, that's who my student loans were like, you can't keep on making these payments. You're only limited to 20 payments a month. That's how much I was like every dollar that I was finding. I was like, let me make a payment. Let me make a payment. And so I just kind of went hard in the paint.
0: Well, were you still on the student repayment program at that point, And you were just paying additional? At that
1: time I was, but I didn't really care. I wasn't really tripping because with the student loan repayment program, only one monthly payment counts towards, you know, your one hundred and twenty payments. But at that point, I was like, I am not going to get this loan for another 10 years. At that point, it was maybe eight more years that I had left. But I was like, it's not going to take me eight years to pay this loan off. I need to get this out of my life. Mm -hmm. But honestly, I didn't even know how much of that I had. I saw the balances going down, but I never really did the math until I decided to share my story publicly.
0: So you did say that you got a divorce. So Mm -hmm. did your husband come in, your ex-husband, did he come into the relationship with a lot of debt also? And did you have to kind of attack his debt too, or you kept things pretty separately?
1: He didn't come in with a lot of debt in comparison to mine. He had like small things that he, uh, like small, small, small little accounts. And then he had a car. The thing that he did come in with was like a brand new car. In the beginning of our marriage, I actually had to refinance that car solely into my name because I guess when he bought it, somebody else co-signed for it. So in order to get it out of that person's name, I had to take over that loan. And so that essentially got put into our snowball. So that got paid off over the course of our marriage. It wasn't a lot in comparison to what I had, but it all got paid off relatively early because it, it was the smaller amount.
0: Okay. And, you know, I'm asking that because I, I know that obviously getting a divorce is a big life change and that okay. must have affected your finances or your journey a bit, right? Like, did it set you back a lot? Like what changed in terms of your financial plan at that point, once that happened and how did you overcome it?
1: Getting the divorce itself We weren't married for very long. So I didn't have to incur a lot of legal fees as far as the divorce process in itself, which was a blessing. But it was really time consuming and emotionally draining. And then ultimately, at the conclusion of our divorce, because I wanted to kind of get it over with and not have to go through a trial and still (laughs) have to deal with being married to this person for much longer, I kind of settled on something that impacted me financially. So what happened was, was that. You know, I told you I had that car in my name and I basically paid the car off during our whole marriage. He didn't really make that much money because effectively we were only married for probably about four or five months and then he didn't have an income for a certain period of time. So I paid that car off and it was in my name. But, you know, in waiting for the divorce process, I sold the car and because I sold the car during our divorce process, the judge got kind of pissed off. And she was just like, well, you weren't supposed to do that. So now you're going to have to pay for it. And even though I paid for that car myself, I ended up settling on giving him $15,000 for the car that I paid off so he can get a new car. So that set me back financially. The uh, the other thing that set me back financially, and this is what I do talk about a lot, is my taxes because I was going through a divorce. The way that I had to file my taxes was different. And so I also had a $30,000 tax bill this April. Before that, I only had like $24,000 in debt. And then the divorce process and the ramifications of the divorce process set me back another $45,000. You know, you kind of have to weigh your own like sanity. And to me, $45,000 is a lot of money, but to have my freedom and to be not burdened with that relationship, it was worth it. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm fine. Right. I'm fine. Yeah, it set me back. It'll probably set me, you know, set me back probably a year in my journey, but what's a year? And then it's just testimony. It's just
0: something to share, something that people can learn from. Right. Well, what would you now looking back at that whole process, not necessarily your relationship, but we're not going to get that deep. But in terms of how you handle the finances throughout yeah. that time, is there anything you can say to yourself you should have done differently or you you made peace with those decisions and you just decided to move on from there.
1: Initially, when we started our marriage, we combined finances right away because, you know, I think that that's what you should do. I mean, I hear a lot of people saying that they keep separate accounts and all of that kind of stuff. And I just feel like if you're really committed to a relationship and this is like you're, you guys are supposed to be partners, you're supposed to be joined under God and all that kind of stuff that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to act as one unit. And so in one way, you know, I think if I look back, like, and I was looking in hindsight and seeing kind of how that our relationship played out, I should have at least just waited a year or so to do that, or even waited to get married a little bit longer. I mean, but those are things that I say in hindsight, ultimately, I felt like I was doing what was right. I don't regret paying off, even though like, I could have been out of debt by now if I hadn't paid off his, Car, or his dad, or whatever. But that's what I was. I was married, so mm-hmm. it's not like I was just tricking off on some random guy. That was my husband at the time. So you know, I could have done things smarter, but I felt like I was doing the right thing. And when you do the right thing, but it still has negative consequences, you just chalk it up as a lesson. So I could have let that defeat me, or I just use it as a lesson, and I use it as part of the story that I share. It is what it is.
0: Yeah, and it's a powerful testimony and. So now that you are divorced, you're a single mom. So how do yeah. you deal with that? So it all lies on your shoulders to take care of your daughter. And a lot of our listeners may be single moms or single parents. Is there any advice in terms of how to handle that situation?
1: It's definitely a struggle. I have to depend heavily on people that I have to pay to help take care of my daughter. I have a lot of mom guilt for her. Not being around her and having to work as much as I do. Like if you guys follow me, you know I, I work like five or six days a week and a lot of overtime. So I work a lot. But the way that I look at it is, is that I'm working hard right now. My baby sees my, she sees what I'm doing. She respects it. I don't talk about work as something that's a negative thing. She thinks I have like the most beautiful job. She thinks I just go to work and play with babies, you know. So she thinks it's amazing. And I think it's just about the way that you frame it and the way that you approach it, because I love my job. I love what I do. And I just say that, you know, I'm putting in work right now so that later she can benefit and her kids can benefit. So I don't actually mind. I mean, the guilt trips in, I've heard people tell me that other people is raising my kids, that they're my child's mom. Like I've been attacked on so many different levels, but ultimately at the end of the day, I know my baby is well taken care of. And I know I'm doing what I need to do to protect her down the line. And I know that I always, frame things like, am I being the person that I want her to be? Am I setting that example of the person that I want her to be? And I think people just need to look at it like that. Like what kind of example are you setting for your kids? Because you know, more is caught than taught. The way that they learn is through seeing you and the things that you do. So, you know, that's how I just have to look at it. And I think for people out there that are single moms, that are struggling, being a single mom is no joke. And I know amazing single moms and You know, I have some really, really good friends that are single moms or moms that are the primary breadwinners of their families. Like, as you know, most nurses are, especially in the Bay Area, because our salaries are so high. We are the primary breadwinners in our family. So we usually run the finances in our household. And it's just about knowing your why, working towards that. And don't let those negative voices in your head stop you and get in your way because you're doing what you're doing for your family. So that's what I just tell everybody.
0: And that's good advice. And one thing that really sticks out when you tell your story, so you paid off about $300,000 so far in debt, right? Yes. Uh So when someone hears that, obviously, that's a lot of money. And they're going to think, well, wow, it's relative to your income because you have to be at a certain income level to do that. But as you're saying, it was not without challenges. It was not without struggle. And it really isn't about the amount of money you have, because you could be making a million dollars and be a million point five in debt and be broke. So it's really about managing what you currently have. So what are some tips that you can give someone for managing their money? What are the game changers for you? Other than, you know, you said you started zero based budgeting, but are there any special tips you can give?
1: I really think that it's all about mindset, right? A lot of people have paid off a lot of debt and then get right back into debt. It's like, you have to decide. You have to forgive yourself for all those times you went back in debt and you have to decide. This is the point where I'm going to change. I'm going to really do things that are really going to build my net worth and make sure that I am doing what I need to do in order to actually gain that financial independence, that financial freedom. But that's all in your mind. Like it's 80% your mindset and 20% the actions that you're going to take. So once you make up your mind that you're going to do it, just come. It's just about following a game plan and sticking to it. Another thing is, is that I didn't look at my debt as $300,000 in debt. Like I didn't look at it like that. I looked at it as small little chunks. So what people often do is get overwhelmed by the numbers. But if you break it into like small, tangible steps, that you could take it to knock out that debt, then just do it and don't get overwhelmed. Sometimes it helps not to even add up how much you pay. You could be like, oh my God, this is how much I paid or this is how much I owe. And it's just, you know, it can be overwhelming and that overwhelm can paralyze you and paralyze you with fear. Don't let that fear consume you. Also celebrate your milestones. One thing that I do, and even though people are gonna be like, this is not really for you, it really is. I take my daughter to Disneyland or to an amusement park. At least once a month, she, we always go and do something fun. And to me, that's celebrating my success, even though people might say, oh, that's for your daughter. No, it brings me joy to be able to do something like that for her. And I have fun, too. I mean, I do things for myself, too. But I make sure that I build in into my budget time, vacation time and time to like just enjoy, enjoy life. And right now, because she's three, those are the things that we do to enjoy life. Right. So you know, those are the tips that I would give.
0: You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I, my, another guest, and I'm not sure when her episode will be released, if it will be before or after yours, but Fifi from the Divine Hostess and Wonderfully Made podcast, she also, when I asked her just about tips to staying on the journey, staying committed, she brought up that you should definitely still reward yourself and it doesn't need to necessarily be a big to-do and it it shouldn't necessarily Mm -hmm. throw you off track of your goals. Right. But that we should make sure that we are at least giving ourselves credit and giving ourselves small rewards if we have to just to keep ourselves motivated on the journey. So I like that you also said that. And how fun is it that you get to do that with her? Right. That's nice. Right.
1: It's great. I love it.
0: So where are you now with your debt? So is the goal to be completely debt free, including the mortgage? Or like what is your total goal? And where are you now with that goal?
1: Right now, I'm just working on my debt outside of my mortgage. I'm a little under $55,000 in debt, which I hope to have done by sometime next year. That's my goal. I'm not even really like pushing myself. I felt like I've proven that I can do it. And I was going super hard in the paint, but right now, I'm at the point in my journey where I need to balance out how much I'm contributing to my retirement because I stop contributing to my retirement, but I, I can't be paying the IRS all this money and not <laughs> having mm-hmm. no extra retirement. So I need to figure out that balance. I had gotten to a point where I was just really, really, really getting myself up about not hitting financial goals the way that I wanted to and just kind of giving myself a little bit of grace and just slowing down, like, listen, it's going to happen and it's going to happen a lot faster than you expect but don't get bogged down by the fact that you're not hitting goals. Like maybe you hit last year or things like that and, you know, just in enjoying life. So that's kind of where I'm at. My goal is to pay it off by next year. And I know I'll meet that goal, but yeah, $55,000 left. And as far as my house, you know, I'm like every day back and forth, like, am I going to sell this house? Like I started watching minimalism documentaries and I listen to Minimalist is podcast. And I'm just like this house is too big. I need to just give me a little tiny home for me and my baby. We don't need no space. We sleep in the same bed anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, I, just, you know, so I go back and forth every day, literally about what I'm going to do about my house. So I mean, ultimately, if my goal is to stay here, I definitely would pay it down fast right now because I'm not sure about what I'm going to do with my house. I'm just focusing on my other debt.
0: Okay, what's next for Financially Intentional? What is your goal with your brand?
1: That is an awesome question. (laughs) (laughs) When I started my brand, I didn't really have like a clear direction. And I was just like, I just need to share this information with as many people as possible. Because I felt like this information was too good. And I felt like a lot of people just, if they knew better, they would do better. And so that was just my whole platform was just sharing my story with as many people as possible and hoping to inspire them to say, like, look, if I did this with this amount of debt, like, you can do it. And so right now, I'm just looking at ways where I can really, really expand and reach out to more people. I want to do more speaking. I want to offer courses and have more physical products that people can use in order to aid them. So those are the kind of things that I am working on. And if you have any tips, you can share them with me too. But yeah, that's good direction. Nothing major. You know, it's hard to kind of look at this as a business because I feel like, my time is so limited because I work so much and it's just like, okay, I can invest this amount of time in doing this, or I can go work overtime and make a thousand dollars in four hours. And so it's just like those balances and I'm just like, ah, and so it's a struggle. But you know, I do try to stay connected and I am working on it. And I know it can be so much bigger, but right, you know, that's kind of where I'm at.
0: Well, I think it's interesting you bring that up because similar to you, you know, I still work full time. I'm doing Journey to Launch and I would eventually like this to be something I do full time. Like, you know, whether it's something that helps me retire earlier or it's something I retire into where I can help other people either way. Uh, you know, that's my goal. But it's hard when you work full time, you have a crazy commute and then you have a child. And especially if you layer on, if you're in a relationship on top of that, Yeah, it's hard to juggle all those balls. So you should definitely give yourself some grace. As you said before, <laughs> you should definitely cut yourself some slack, but I feel like your message is pretty powerful because what happens now, I feel like, is that when you see these big numbers from myself, when I said I saved 85000 last year, and then you saying that you paid off $300,000, I feel like there's some stories like that and they're inspirational. And when I hear them, I am impressed. And it makes me want to push harder because I know it can be done, but I also right. want to let my listeners know that maybe that $300,000 is not something in your reach today, you know, right now. And again, it's all relative to your income. It's all relative to your expenses, but you need to do what the best you can do, right? So while you can use us as comparisons or people that can inspire you, don't let the comparison bog you down to the point where you don't feel like you're doing enough. You just need to do your best. Exactly. So Naseema, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. Where can people find you if they want to know more about you?
1: I mostly hang out on Instagram at Financially Intentional. I have my blog that I'm working on. redoing actually at financiallyintentional.com. And if you subscribe there, I have a five-day email course that you'll automatically be enrolled in. And I do have a Facebook page where all my live videos, which are pretty entertaining, live and that's at facebook.com at financially intentional. So yeah, those are some places. And feel free to hit me up. I usually respond really, really fast. And if you have any questions, just reach out. Reach
0: out. I don't bite. (laughs) All right. Thanks again so much, Nasima. (laughs) I really hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Seema from Financially Intentional. She's really inspiring, really down to earth. And so if you're not following her already, you should follow her. <laughs> and if you want the episode show notes, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 16. So anything we mentioned, if you want to connect more with the you'll find all the links there. Also, as I mentioned before, continue to please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening, and especially in iTunes. And I wanted to read a review that I got on the app, the iTunes app. So this says, first, I want to say that this podcast is amazing. I actually met Jamila at an event called Podcast Movement. She was very approachable and super down to earth. Right after we spoke, I subscribed to the podcast and have been listening since. She brings the same enthusiasm and passion on the podcast as she does in person. I'm in her corner rooting for her to retire in six years. And I know she wants the same for us, too. I wish everyone the best while on their journey. And big thanks to Jamila for making this podcast, Malik. And this review, when it came in, I was really actually touched because I remember meeting Malik at Podcast Movement. And it's just crazy because, you know, you meet people and, you know, you just yourself and you're... Just saying hi, and it's just crazy how people can remember you from just one interaction. It just somehow becomes a connection. So thank you, Malik, for listening to the podcast and leaving a review. I truly, truly appreciate that and your kind words. Again, if you want to hear your review read on the podcast, you just need to leave one. <laughs> if you want to join me on this journey, other than listening to the podcast, you can do that in a couple ways. You can join the Facebook group at com slash community. You can join my email list. I send out weekly emails that give you all the updates on what's going on with Journey to Launch. Also, as I mentioned before in the podcast, if you want to sign up for a coaching session with me, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash coaching and let's see how I can help you reach your money goals. And if you'd like to just do maybe some work on your own, I have the manual, which you can get at journeytolaunch.com manual. It's a self-guided manual that helps you figure out your goals, organize your finances and get on the right track. So again, thank you for listening to the podcast. I look forward to talking to you next week.